following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Police Academy 7, Mission to Moscow. The Fifth Element, Brazil, Valerian, and the City of a Thousand Planets. The Sisters Brothers, Legend, The Shining, Batman Returns, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Doom, Superman, Short Circuit, Men in Black, The Fast and the Furious, 65, and Blade Runner 2049. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie and then try to determine which one is cooler, robots, dinosaurs, or uh, flying cars. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, the person that picks the movie that we're going to be talking about, and this week, that co-host is Kevin Hardcore McClure. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lou. How are you? Great, man. How are you doing? I, I think it's been about. I think I. I think I said I was going to do this show like twenty years ago, but now look. Look at us. That We're sounds right. You, you. You knew me uh, even back before there ever was a podcast, um, and we uh, probably talked about doing something like this years ago. But yeah, man, um, I'm glad that we finally booked you. I'm glad we finally got you on the show. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we're going to actually be discussing today? The movie we're going to be discussing is the 1982 classic Blade Runner. All right. Now, it's a serious movie, but we're going to mm-hmm. have, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have some anecdotes in there. We'll, do, we'll throw some, some humor into it because it is a very dark, very thoughtful movie. But, you know, we can, we, we can flesh it out a little bit. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we've adjusted our programming and we're allowing ourselves to have a little fun. <laughs> So, which is always which is always delightful. So, um, my first question for you, actually, before uh, before we dive into anything, is which which version of this movie did you watch um, for this review? Well, we're going to go the director's cut on this uh, because I did. I don't know if anybody has ever known this, but there's a director's cut, and then there's an original version. And the original version is not the one that people talk about. That's mm-hmm. the one that that kind of laid in the shadows for about ten years until. Ridley Scott decided to come out, who's the director, who decided to come out with the the director's cut. Now, the big problem or the big issue with the non-director's cut uh, is there's a voiceover narration for, like, every scene. So pretty much what the studio said was, these fucking people don't know about these cyborgs and all this other stuff. (laughs) So, like... (laughs) They were like, we need we need Harrison Ford to spell it out for these idiots. So like, yeah. they, they they dragged Harrison Ford's ass back into like the studio, begrudgingly, and he like had to record like, there I was in the rain, thinking about androids. Like so like, every that's a pretty accurate like, rendition too of like his his tone because he is, you can hear how how not into it, how unenthused he is. Yeah, and and it does distract you from the movie. It really does because you're just kind of hearing everything that just it's almost like you watch something and then like it's like you're watching the end of end of the episode recap afterwards. So what yeah, just hap- what just happened here was I'll tell you something. I the very first time I saw this movie, um I think I was like 25 and I watched I watched the theatrical cut uh and I and like this movie had been hyped up for me so much, like the, the you know the kind of sci-fi I'm into, and I love robots, and you know people were always telling me like, oh, you gotta watch Blade Runner. I can't believe you haven't seen Blade Runner. So I find I rented 
by mistake, the theatrical version, I should have gotten the director's cut. Um, and I did not like this movie when I first saw it. I, 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 I genuinely thought it was a bad movie. No, it, and I think that that's, it really is so strange how something just simple like that can really fuck up everything. It's crazy. Yep. Bored is definitely how I would describe it the first time I was watching it. Also, I mean, what what was working against me at the time is I kind of went into it thinking um, it was going to be like Fifth Element. I thought it was going to be that kind of action sci-fi. And so I was... I was expecting the wrong, the wrong story entirely. Um, and then when, you know, when those narrations kicked in and Harrison Ford sounded super bored, I was like, well, I'm bored too. I don't know if I can get through this movie. Um, and, and for years I was like, anytime Blade Runner came up, I was like, oh, that movie sucks. I don't, I don't like that movie. Uh, and then the through line people would always throw back at me was always, well, have you seen the director's cut though? Um, right. And I'm so glad I finally did. I'm so glad I, I finally like sat down and watched it because it, yeah, it's night and day. It really, it's, it makes such a huge difference. The ending is so much better in the director's cut. No, the end, yeah, and the ending really is, is one of those things that's a very ambiguous ending. And it, and that's what they want. That's the way they want you to, to, to end down. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the whole idea of like, what is, what is really being human? Like, what is, what is the secret? I mean, that's the thing is that like some people, they, even, even if they aren't and they feel like they are, like, it's just kind of those, those kind of themes are very deep for a sci-fi movie. Like fifth element was, fifth element was like, uh, like, like blade runner, but like punched you in the face. Like here, you know, mm-hmm. like it, there was, there wasn't like, there was like a super deep, like meaning it was, it was really captain planet with like aliens in it, you know, like, yeah, it, it really was. It really was like them, like holding up rings, and then like all of a sudden, Lilu appears. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but but uh, you know, with Blade Runner, um, you know, I originally watched the director's cut. I had to go back and watch the original one because I wanted because I because I heard all these interviews or I read all these interviews with Harrison Ford and saying like he hates the movie, <laughs> he hated Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott hated him. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, this is one of his like classics, you know, that he's just like can't stand, you know? Yeah. You know, what, you know, a side note real quick. You know what I realized recently? You know who hates the fifth element? Who? Gary Oldman hates that movie. Why? He's iconic because, in it. <laughs> but there's an interview he did in 2014. You got to read the rest of the interview, by the way, but it's like absolutely like he just like I don't know if he was drinking the night before, but like <laughs> he just like goes off like on everything. But he goes, uh, they asked him about the fifth element and he's like, do you like that movie? He goes, oh, no, no, mate, I can't bear it. Like, he can't <laughs> let- <laughs> he, but wow. he also said at the time that uh, the director, Luke Fasson, was uh, uh, executive producing his directorial debut and he he took that role without even looking at the script, just like to get help him out. Oh and like, gosh. I guess he really regretted not reading the script and what he had to do and all that stuff. So, but yeah, Man, I always well, like find a, that to be interesting, you know, like, and same thing with Harrison Ford. professional though, because he did not phone it in that performance. No. And he's, and people love him in the fifth element too. And, and I he's so great in the movie. professional. And the same thing with Harrison Ford. Like, look, Harrison Ford doesn't give a bad performance in Blade Runner by any means. You know, he's, no. He's very gritty. Uh, you know, he, he fits exactly what the movie's looking for in the character. 
I mean, mm-hmm. he, he does do a good job in the movie. So it's just well, kind of strange to hear past like work that people just like they had such a hard time with. Well, you hear you like you can Harrison Ford's performance as Decker is really good, but you can hear it like there's a lot of time separation between when he actually, you know, they 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 printed the last frame of of what they recorded versus like bring him back into the booth to do to do this voiceover work. And he clearly was not into the character and he, at that point in time uh, clearly was against the whole idea, did not want the narration to be in there. And absolutely, I've even heard people, uh, I don't know if this is apocryphal, but I've heard it, it, like it went as far as he was purposely trying to tank it so that it wouldn't be usable. Yeah, no, and, and you can definitely tell when he's reading it that he is just like so pissed off. I think the only way, and, and that's the thing is, you know, it's it's useless anyways in this movie. Look, look, film noir does have narration, sure, but this isn't sure. the type of narr- this isn't the type of film noir. This isn't like a detective story. This is like he he that's another thing that he said that he didn't like about the role was that he was a detective that doesn't detect anything. That's what he said. Yeah, we'll, so, get, we'll get into it, but the mystery is not as complex as you might think, like hearing that this is a detective story. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. It kind of but unravels think, very neatly and like in sequential order very neatly. I think one I think what happened was it like someone finally explained to him what was going on and then like he was like, Oh, that's a good movie. I that's what I think. Like I think that like yeah. when he first did the movie, maybe he didn't understand like totally the concepts that Ridley Scott was trying to convey. He was just more like yeah, I'm a I'm a cop hunting robots. You know, I, I don't know if he like <laughs> looked at it more more deeper than like the human condition or all that kind of stuff. So maybe I think revisiting the movie and look, they got him to come back for another one. So obviously he's yeah. made peace with that, and he's and he's clearly embraced you know the fact that people love this movie. So um, so okay, there's there's a thing uh, that we do on every episode of Robots vs Dinosaurs called Lose Big Three. Um, usually we save it towards the sort of the end of the episode, but, um, I feel like, I feel like there's, uh, just a, like it's the questions that I want to ask are going to color our entire discussion of this movie. Um, so we're going to do, we're going to get lose big three out of the way, uh, right, right now. Um, so Kevin, uh, you've met my friend, my high school friend, Ryan, uh, he sings the theme song for lose big three. And he's going to do that right now. Lose Big Three, it's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lose Big Three. All right. Welcome back. Thanks, Ryan. That was amazing. Kevin, what do you think of Ryan singing? Uh, I've always enjoyed Ryan Lawler. He, uh, he, I don't know. He, He's just one of my favorites. So, Just a golden voice. Uh, awesome. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pipe in the actual music later. You'll hear it later. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Lose Big Three. What is the Lose budget Big- on this? Oh, it's incredible. We got a producer. We got everything. Uh, it just happens to be also be me. Um, so, all right, lose big, lose big three, number one. What is uh, the pill that the geisha lady in the billboard ads is constantly taking throughout this movie? What are they, aver- no, what are they actually advertising? I have no idea. It, I, it feels like some type of a commentary on, like, drugs or something like that. I don't, I, that's a, that's a, I don't know if that's what it is. I, I don't... I never really like looked into it completely, but I, if I was going to say something, I was maybe him trying to say something like, like, I know like movies like a Terry and Gil- Terry Gilliam movie has like a lot of things like going in the around in the background, like, like social commentary or things that 
things that he dislikes that he wants to like illustrate. So I, I would maybe kind of say something about um, that she's taking it and it's like becoming a fantasy, like the way you escape this bleak futuristic thing is is put something in your mouth and hope for the best. And it's no, um, it's, it's not lost on anybody that it's a red pill. Right. And that like, like yeah, it's, that's uh, it. I, I think it's, I think it's one of those things. It's just, cause especially like all those scenes, like, I, I don't think there is there is there any scene in that movie that is not rain. <laughs> I think like the entire yeah no, which is, is which, uh, like in 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 real life Los Angeles it never rains ever. Um, so like that's part of that's part of the amazing world building of this is like you know how it just implies that there was some kind of ecological disaster like everything is upside down. Uh, but yeah, it's constantly raining, which is like it, it it also I mean just helps with the mood of the film really well. Yeah, it really does. And the other thing that helps with the mood, and one of my all-time favorite soundtracks to listen to is is this soundtrack, Vangelis, who actually mm. just recently passed away. Uh, oh. He did an amazing job with this soundtrack. There's such great tracks. Like, uh, the one I really love is called Blade Runner Blues. Mm. But, like, if I'm, like, really in deep thought or I'm writing something, like, I put that on, it's, it's so good. Like, yeah. some of the tracks... I don't know if you ever listened to it all the way through. It's a lot of tracks. And some mm-hmm. of the tracks are actually like some of the dialogue from the movie. But it's I highly recommend if you want to listen to it all the way through. Vangelis like really crushed it with that. Yeah, it's a great, um, great soundtrack. Um also like contributes to the whole noir feel too, like the the long trumpets and stuff like that. Uh yeah, there's the... that feeling that you're alone in a big city. Like that's the thing that you wanted to get from that movie is you know, look how giant this metropolis is. And the more the more big things get, the more cars are in the air, the more the factories get bigger. You know, you gotta get lost in the shuffle. And that's mm-hmm. kind of kind of the way you kind of feel when you watch that movie that everybody's alone. <laughs> so there there was a moment when I was watching it where I, when well, like this this time when I first saw the billboard ad where I was like, oh, maybe it's just candy. Like maybe it's just something as innocuous as like it's an advertisement for Skittles or, you know, something like that. Uh, but the more times I saw it, um, the more I felt like, and j- just from the overall tone of this world, felt like, no, it's, it must be something more sinister or at least more cynical than that. So it's probably some sort of like mind altering drug or um, something that's just, you know, commercially available, but um, they're advertising it to you as, like you said, like this unlocks the fantasy. This, you know, basically just brings you out of this hellscape that we all live in. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, that all those, all those little like Chinatown scenes or they're just sitting there in the rain, like trying to eat sushi or whatever they're doing. It's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you just think like, Oh, where's this red pill? You would have thought like maybe it would have been like a subplot in the movie that like people are like getting, you know, like cracked out on this like red drug that they have on the street, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but they didn't go that route. But I but again, I I assume that something like that is just kind of a take of, you know, this is how you get out of it. You take the red pill and then you're and then you're whisked away to like what the few what you thought the future was going to be, not what the future is. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Is that too deep? No, not at all. Um, Lose Big Three, number two. Uh, this, this, I think there's a strong implication, but the movie doesn't definitively answer this question. Um, does, does Roy kill J.F. Sebastian? 
Well, I had to look this up actually. And uh, there is a, apparently a scene, not a scene, uh, that, but there is a, a over an intercom or over, I think when the police scanner, they said they found, find another body. And oh, that's gosh. implied that that's him. Uh, they said that they did shoot a scene that they killed him, but they didn't, I guess they didn't want to make the movie too gory. Because yeah. <laughs> right before that, like once Roy Batty hears from Dr. Tyrell that like he can't do anything about like his lifespan, mm-hmm. like he just like, he, he goes like full Rucker Hauer on him. <laughs> like, you know, he gives him a yeah. kiss on the lips and he gouges his eyes out and kills him. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I, I think they're like, what are we going to do with J.F. Sebastian? Who was a, look, not, not a bad character. He was just kind of a guy that was the same. You know, I like that character because he had a condition that really was the same plight as them, that they had a mm-hmm. short lifespan. He had a aging. syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say that word. <laughs> I can't believe you said <laughs> that. Word. The first try. <laughs> yeah, J.F. <laughs> Sebastian. Yeah. Again, I. I, you know, you kind of sympathize, sympathize as well, and you kind of see that he's almost being manipulated too by the corporation, just the same way they are. So um, he's yeah, such an interesting character too, because like, and and I think by by extension, Roy's reaction to him is so fascinating because, like, at first it seems like um, Pris is kind of giving this guy a pass because he was immediately helpful to her. He didn't exploit her. You know, he just offered help. But then I feel like once once she sees his his home and sees like all these automatons that he's built and like given various levels of sentience, it's like he's there. It's such a dangerous game because it's like these robots are tolerating you because they think you're going to help them. And also the the Methuselah syndrome thing, like they in to, in some ways, like identify with you and identify and identify with your plight. Um but at the same time, like you're so responsible for their tortured existence, so it's like, yeah, I, I have I have no doubts in my mind personally that when Roy is like going after him and he's running away and he's like, come, come, uh, that he kills him horribly. <laughs> um, and I think I think the way that they imply that is much more effective than actually showing it on screen. Yeah, that's that's true. And and that's another thing. It really is something that it's not you just kind of have to like figure it out yourself and and that's kind of good in a way because maybe some people didn't realize that and they maybe thought that he lived because maybe they they had some sympathy for him, but after seeing how brutally he murdered uh Dr. Tyrell after like hearing that. Because you remember like Dr. Tyrell, he was like complimenting him on a short lifespan like how much he's right. how much he's evolved and accomplished and all that but he doesn't want to hear that he, he wants to hear wh- what do you you know how can you extend my life why I want did you more make life me- father right yeah yeah rucker Hauer. well rucker Hauer is this definitely is his his best movie he doesn't mm-hmm. have like a ton of screen time but anytime he shows up like the presence alone is just it, it, it amplifies. It's it's just the way he looks. That hair, that the eyes, like the the whole jacket. Like he just, you know, he really killed this role. Like he really did. Like it was so he, good. He did, and then for the next decade, Sting completely stole his look. <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> that's 
stage. <laughs> you know what I was thinking too? Like I think with like the like with the original version, I think the only way they could make it like watchable is if Nick Nolte re-records the voiceovers. Like oh it just makes it even more like maybe even worse. Like and it's like he really is he really doesn't care. Like he's like throwing in like F bombs and all that. Like, oh hell, what the hell are we doing? Beep, beep, boop, boop, these drugs. <laughs> like he just right, like he's he's just completely like, Ridley, what are we doing here? Come on, man. I gotta I gotta be at the bar. Like, you know, like if if that was like the whole Blade Runner commentary, <laughs> like I that's that, inspired. That I think we should try to do that one day. We should try to re-record the Harrison Ford lines that, and just just bring Nick Nolte in. Because I think it's I think it's either Nick Nolte or you lean in the other direction and it's Ron Perlman. <laughs> Ron. Can you believe these replicants? Yeah, <laughs> he's just the guy from Blade Two. <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome! This was not called Execution. It was called <laughs> Retirement. I can't do a good Ron Perlman. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. Cause he is, cause he is delivering like the cheesiest lines and like, kind of like a very serious way. Like, mm-hmm. cause Ron Perlman is like, you're very, like, he's a very accomplished actor. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like one of those guys that he, he doesn't pick the best role choices, but like when he does show up in a movie, it's always entertaining. No, I was saying like, I think one of the first movies I ever remember him being in was the Russian villain in Police Academy 7 Mission to Moscow. That's all, like, <laughs> like, I've seen him in that kind of shit, you know? Like, that's yeah. the kind of shit I've seen him in. But, um, what were you going to say? He's he's the kind of guy just like, uh, just like Dolph Lundgren and just like, um, I think, Rucker Hauer, where like, they, they, because of like how intelligent they actually are as people, they always elevate the henchman character that they play. You know, they're always like this big tough guy, but they always elevate it to like, oh, not only is this guy dangerous physically, but like can mentally spar with you, too. Yeah, I think with Rucker Hauer, it's almost like, is he reading a script or he just told Ridley, like, I'm just going to act like a psychopath for two hours. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, if he's reading anything sometimes. He's just so, so serious in what he's doing. And like some of the movies he's been in, it's like, they're not, I mean, I remember him being like the co-pilot in like Tur- Turbulence 3. You know, like that's the kind of movies I've seen him in, you know? And it's just, yeah. he doesn't even have a name in the movie, he's just co-pilot. Like how did he, how, <laughs> like how much was he behind on rent in some of these movies that he did? But, um, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe like, it's just even, the love of the game. Though, like, no, that's what it was. He just liked to work. He was like, kind of mm-hmm. like walking would do that too. He just liked to just always be busy. So yeah. like, and whatever script and, and and it's like one of those things like that nicholas cage syndrome is like have you ever said no to anything i don't i don't know if that's true if you really look at like rucker Har's entire filmography but i will mm-hmm. say that i'm a huge fan of him and i love some of the shit he's been in like i and, and it's just funny because like blade runner is like the you know citizen kane of his career and then it's just like after 1982 it's like maybe a couple of good ones. And then it's just like really, really bad. <laughs> so, yeah. but, uh, but again, I, I still love like catching those gems, like on DVD or, or seeing them late at night where all of a sudden he's in the fucking movie. Cause I know it's going to be entertaining to see him. And it just looks like, uh, it, it just looks like he just really needed a paycheck and he's in this. Uh, that's just kind of how I feel. 
he was president of the world in uh, Valerian, Valerian in the city of a thousand planets. That's right. <laughs> oh no, no! You know what's funny? The last movie I saw him in. Did you ever see the Sisters Brothers? No. With, with John that? C. Riley and uh, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. No. So he he plays their boss, and in the beginning of the movie, I'm just going to spoil the movie, but that's okay. Uh, it's not really a spoiler because the the rest of the movie it's it's really worth watching. It's a really good movie, but like he's like the guy that hires them, and he's in a window. They have no scenes of dialogue with him in the window talking to John C. Riley's character or Joaquin Phoenix's character, and then the whole time they're like, "Oh, Rucker Howard's coming after us. He's sending his men after us, and all this stuff." And then like the the only scene that he's in is him in a in a coffin. Like he dies before he can get to them. And literally he has no lines of dialogue in his final movie. It's just him in a window and then him in a coffin. And that's it. I oh, wonder, wow. I, I don't know what he got paid for, but I hope it was good. Uh, that's, that's a sad note to end on. <laughs> his career. No, but what I'm saying, like, you're thinking like, oh, wow, this is Rucker Howard's final film. And that was, that's how, that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, what, what wasn't uh, Orson Welles' final film? Wasn't it like he was the voice of Unicron? Yeah, yeah, he had gotten to the to the size of Unicron, actually. <laughs> um, so that you know, uh, one of the things that I like about one detail that I like, and they 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 this is in like the opening scroll of the movie. They do you know the early in the twenty first century, the Tyrell Corporation. Um, they say the Nexus Six replicants were superior in strength and agility and at least equal in intelligence to the genetic engineers who created them. I like that these are not, like, simply because they're AI, they're, like, they have computer brains and they're, like, super intelligent. Like, that's not one of the advantages that they have. Um, and I think I, that plays out in various ways in the movie, but I think that's a really important detail, too. Like, what do you think? I think so, too. I think that's why we're so afraid of them. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I was reading, too, it's like, why don't you just wait four years and they die? But it's not about that. It's about the idea that, like, these guys can come into your world and you have no idea. They're mm -hmm. so good. They're so good at replicating a human being. Like, we made them that good that we're, we're so afraid of them. Like, they're not allowed on this planet. Like, it's illegal yeah. to have them come here. Like, they immediately... They, they are dispatched to be murdered if they make it here. That's what's crazy. And that's what's interesting, too, is that, you know, we talk about six. And we say, like, you know, two of them don't make it. Like, there's there's only four that mm -hmm. make it to, to the world. Yeah, um, like, two were just and, fried immediately. Yeah. So, and, and then the other two are very interesting characters. They don't have a lot of screen time. But Leon and Zora are very cool characters. Yep. Um, you know, you kind of get that idea. Leon, I think, is a great example of that. Like, he was designed to be, like, to work in engineering waste disposal. And, you know, you don't you don't just see him out of nowhere busting out, like, quantum equations or talking about, you know, microphysics. Like, he's just, he he is that intelligent. They, made, they only made him that level of intelligence. And I, like, I don't know. I think that, I think that's, that's cool in a way. Like, it's, it's torturous to the robots. Um, <laughs> but that they are deliberately limited in some ways, but you know, it's, it's a cool detail. No, it is. It, it certainly is. And it's, it's strange. That everybody gets like assigned a role and it's like, Chris is, you know, she's really a sex bot. That's really what she is. She's a fembot from Austin Powers. Like 
She, that, yeah. That's really like her job on, on off world. Like it just like everybody, like he's a, he's a, like an engineer and a science, like, and she's just like, I like to have sex with her. Like that, like they couldn't yeah. come up with like a better, like that's just kind of just shows like how shitty we can be, you know, where it's like, we have all this, these means to make these amazing things. And they were still like, yeah, but who's going to have sex with us? Well, off world. I casually assume anytime a sci-fi movie has like humanoid robots, um, that the first wave of that technology was probably sex robots. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just from like what I know about <laughs> capitalism and, 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 you know, human concerns, uh, that is probably the first thing. And in real life, that is probably the first thing that we're going to build robots to do. <laughs> That'll be stage one of like them taking over, right? The sex bots. You know yeah, what? Well, At that, that point, they deserve it. <laughs> they deserve to take over. <laughs> yeah, because even Zora, she's like working as a stripper, you know? Like she's she's like, I can't get, I couldn't even get a job at a diner. Like she's like a snake charmer in a strip club. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's even darker than that. Like, it's even more um, salacious than that. She's literally doing these, like, like a donkey show, but with a snake. <laughs> and is it, I mean, she's a robot, but is it better or worse that the snake is a robot? I think, I think better uh, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> for the snake's uh, sake as well. Um, yeah, Zora, Zora had a lot of choices there. She chose to go with the mechanical one. Yeah, man. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I find um, her death scene, I find the way that they do her death scene, Zora, um, you, there's a lot of sympathy there. It's the haunting, way that they yeah. Shoot, yeah, shoot that scene, like where she falls through the glass. And, you know, it's really heartbreaking that, it, like, this is his job, you know, that he's he's got to kill these. They don't want to die. Like, that's their goal. Like, they don't want to, they're not bothering anybody. They just don't want to. They want to find a way at, way to live, and so it just. I mean, like, his boss did mention they killed twenty three people. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. That. Was off, that was off world. No, actually, okay, Leon, fair enough. Leon does kill the guy in the office, right? Yeah, yeah. He, no, no, that's true. Like, asking that's him a question about his mom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Like how he holds on to those pictures so much. You know, like you know those those implanted memories. You no, know, mm-hmm. they really feel so real to them. You know, you feel like sad that like they're not real. It's really not real, but like they don't know that. They just kind of they know that some attachment to this to these pictures. That's right because like he's he's real sad that like they when they bust up his apartment that like they took the photographs. He couldn't get his photographs back. Yeah, yeah. So that that was kind of interesting. Those little things. That actor is Brian James, who also appeared in the Fifth Element. He played uh, General Monroe in uh, the Fifth Element. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Great character actor. He died, uh, he died like in 2000. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he put out a lot of good, like, he was another guy that was like showing up like everywhere, like in, in like the bottom of the barrel directed video stuff. But he always was, mm-hmm. had a great presence. Uh, very menacing too. Like, you know, when that fight with, uh, Deckard, you know, he's really a menacing, uh, character. That facial, the facial expressions, it's, he's really good in that. And he's about to do to him what uh, what Batty does to um, yeah. Tyrell. He like he's about to like that's put right, his eyes yeah. through his, eye, his his fingers through his eye sockets. I, I wonder if that's like their their main <laughs> method that they like to use to. That's their finishing move, right? Like finish. Yeah, him. But, yeah. That's a pretty bad. I mean that 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 that's that's like a horrifying way to kill someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's that's another difference between the um, theatrical cut and the director's cut. I I'm not a big fan of graphic gore. 
but it it does it I, I mean objectively makes it a lot more effective to see him do that to Tyrell and how how much they linger on it. Yeah, and, and that's it. Just it just kind of gives you an idea of of that. That's like that's like the end of their hope. Like their hope is done. Like once yeah. their creator tells them that it's over, they just have nothing left. So like that's just like kind of the way of him. Like yeah, if that's the case, then who cares anymore? Like l- let me just end this guy. And, and you know, it, you know, you feel though that emotion. You know, it's not it's not about like the like the dialogue is good, but it's just you know the facial expressions, like the the pain, the anguish. Like you really get a lot of that with just not a lot of dialogue, which I, I love movies like that. Mm-hmm. Lou's big three, number three. This is the big, this is the big question for this movie. Um, is Deckard a replicant? You know, I have to say that he is. Uh, th- that's the only way to really explain uh, the, the origami uh, at the end of the movie that is, uh, I guess they call him his boss, but. So unpack kind of, that. Um, what, what's the origami about? Let's unpack that. So he's been he's been he's been having dreams. He's been having dreams of a, a origami. I believe it's a bird, right? It's a, a unicorn. I'm sorry, a unicorn. My bad. Yeah. Um, an origami unicorn, and for some well, he reason, sees, he sees it as a real unicorn, like running towards him, which I think is like test footage for legend. Actually, like it, it actually <laughs> is. Uh, right. the special effects department shot <laughs> test footage for legend. Yeah, that's that's another that's another movie too where you think you know okay maybe if they waited like twenty years to make the first one like <laughs> the, the special effects would have like really put up <laughs> yeah they might have used it was I think that came out like only a year or two uh, uh, in between so that makes sense mm-hmm. but yeah so when he has the dream of the unicorn uh, it, it it's it appears that uh, his boss knows about what his dreams are so what it's implying his boss Edward really James almost yeah, yeah Edward James almost yeah. He, 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 it's implying that like he somehow knows what he's dreaming about, meaning that he possibly has his memories implanted in, in, in there too, meaning he is a replicant. And look, I mean, if you really think about it, setting a replicant after another replicant makes a lot of sense. Like we would do yeah. something scummy like that. We would have somebody that doesn't realize he's, he's this, and that's the perfect guy to hunt these, these, these things. You think he's that, very expendable. That's the only guy that could hunt these things. One of my, I, I firmly believe um, that he's a replicant. I'm totally on the same side you are with this. Um, one of my biggest pieces of evidence that the movie presents that that Deckard is a replicant is his fight with Pris. At one point, she's like on his head, squeezing, like squeezing her thighs together, like about to, you know, about to crush his skull. She reaches down and like basically bowling balls his nose um with her fingers like we've seen what the strength level of these replicants is like she could crush his head um unless he is also a replicant right right no that is a pretty brutal fight scene too you're right like that she could have easily taken him out there's no way a regular human survives that fight no no that's a good point yeah i didn't even think about that that's that's interesting that yeah, to no, me was the yeah. biggest part. Like the unicorn, absolutely, and like he picks up the like folded unicorn that Gath made for him at the end to like drive it home. But yeah, well, it's also the you know we got, we we didn't talk about Rachel at all. So Rachel is yeah, um, uh, a Sean Young, Sean Young, yeah. Before she lost her mind, um, <laughs> did you ever 
I don't know. Just a side note about Sean Young. Uh-huh. Did you ever? I've see... got a. I've got a side note as well. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yep. Is it a? Re- is it like a real story? Like she. Well, let me hear yours. I'm curious if it's uh, the same one. Is it? Well, so like when when Batman be, when Batman returns. This was, is the one. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. But please so, tell it for the audience. I, I, I love this story. Yeah, Sean Young. I, I don't know what the hell happened to her, but she really wanted to be Catwoman. Like, really wanted to be Catwoman. <laughs> so she showed up on was it Donahue? It was one of those talk shows in the '90s. Yep. Maybe Sally Jesse Raphael, one of those two. And she showed up in like a full. She made. She like went home and like sewed together a Catwoman costume. Mm-hmm. Like she she didn't like get a studio to do anything. So like her audition to like tell the, the the producers of of Batman Returns was she was on a talk show like being Catwoman and and saying hire me meow like mm-hmm. that was like the way she did it like she was completely unhinged at that point and guess who oh. guess what who didn't get hired yeah <laughs> no allegedly it went as far hired. as like she would show up on set and Tim Burton had to kick her kick her out of the set. <laughs> they were trying to shoot and she'd be like interrupting and be like cast me it's it's absolutely deranged behavior you think like even when she was on the set of ace ventura she was still showing up as catwoman i wonder that was what 1991 maybe well yeah batman returns was 92 and and ace ventura was 93 i think okay yeah I, I hope that Sean Young still dresses up like Catwoman and still still kind of get that role. Really I know she like I I kind of scanned her IMDb. She does some like voice work for Dune, you know, cartoons or video games and stuff like that. Um, because she was in the what's his name's version of Dune. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Lynch, right? Uh, yeah, David, David Lynch. Lynch. Yeah. Um. Yeah, anyway. So so, 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 so Rachel. Sorry. So, so that's okay. That's good stuff. I think stuff. this is like her first role too. Like this is one of her first roles. This this mm-hmm. Blade Runner. I well, think Rachel, she's cast well in this. Like for for the character, I think she does a good job. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Well, she's you know she's the classic replicant that doesn't realize she's a replicant. Yeah. You know, she exactly. she completely she completely thinks she's human. Even the test to determine you know who's a replicant and who's not, she almost passes the test. Like that's mm-hmm. how that's how that's how in her mind she believes that she's not a replicant. So this is something um, you know that obviously uh, Deckard knows about, and Deckard kind of takes a liking to her. But I mean, again, the idea that he's taking a liking to her after realizing that she's a replicant and kind of like falling in love with her, I think, kind of like proves that too that he is also a replicant. He's like attracted yeah. to another replicant. You know, like that's that's another way to kind of look at it too. So were you earlier, you were, were you saying you think Gaff is also a, a skin job? Who? Uh, th- that's Edward James Almost's character, right? Right. His sort of like handler. Yeah. Do you th- oh, so you're saying like, do you think like maybe he's a replicant too? That's my question because like the fact that he lets them go, the fact that he... I don't know. Like he, he's never, he never, he's never at all intimidated by, by Deckard. Um, yeah. And his last line is, uh, you know, you know, she won't, she won't live, but then again, who does? But then again, who does also the whole, uh, what else does he say to him? He's like, you did the job of a man. Yeah, he does say that. That's right. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I I never thought about that, that he might be a replicant too, that that's why oh. he's so comfortable with everything. Because otherwise, why, why would he let him go? Right. Why would he let him and Rachel go? Yeah. I don't know. Just like compa- human question. compassion. <laughs> I don't know. I just keep t- I just keep looking at Edward Edward James Olmos's face though, just wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but he is uh, Edward James Olmos does appear in 2049. He does. Okay. I'm not going to say like what he does, but um, yeah, he does show up. So you get you get uh, you get some answers. The sequel gives some answers, but not every, but not every, but you know that's it shouldn't really answer some of these questions. There, I I think. Um, Harrison Ford feels very strongly that Deckard is not a replicant. Um, yeah, Ridley Scott, this, yeah. obviously, Ridley Scott, obviously, like uh, put his thumb on the scale, especially with the director's cut. Um, and I think he's, I think he's out and out said publicly that he thinks Deckard is a replicant. Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes you know you watch Harrison Ford now on like talk shows, he he always is trying to do some like comical stuff. Like he's always trying to act real serious, but he's not being serious. So Mm -hmm. I almost kind of feel like he's trolling people a little bit by telling like them that like, I don't think he's a replicant. I don't know. Like that. I think there's a lot of merit to that. That's a good theory. (laughs) Yeah. There's a few talk show appearances that are just absolutely hysterical where like he's still playing the mean gruff, like old man, but it's like, meanwhile, he's in on the joke. Like he, He's really having a good time. So I could, I could kind of see that happening because once the director comes out and once the guy who like definitively wanted this known in the director's cut, like tells you that you're a replicant, I think, you know, we're going to go with Ridley's take on it. Not the guy that hated the movie for 30 years. Yeah. Have you, I haven't read um, Philip K. Dick's book, uh, Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Have you read it? No, I have not. No, I, I've definitely read some things about it you know I, I guess there are a lot of differences as far as you know what what this movie is about and what that is i mean the themes are there but i guess it's but a, i wonder it's, it's i wonder lot. if the book answers that question or if philip k dick himself like has a theory one way or another i believe it's an in, i believe it's an ambiguous ending as well uh for the book I, i'm not yeah. if i'm not mistaken um, but I and it should like be. That. it should be I, ambiguous I, but that's the best part about it is that we're interpreting that like we like exactly I like stuff. I don't like that's and that's the problem again with like you know why the one with the narration was so bad. It's like I don't need to for you to explain everything. I like to like kind of get an idea of what's going on, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of way that's that opens it up for debate. Like that we have a talk about this, you know, with with stuff like that. It's like they're going to tell you exactly, you know, what what just happened and why it happened and that kind of stuff because we're idiots, you know. Like no, we're. We're free thinking like we this, these are the movies that I love. Like I do like that it's ambiguous. I like that like still even if I say like, oh, I think he's a replicant. Well, there could be somebody right next to me that says, no, he's he's not a replicant. Like I like that, that we can both have those opinions. Yeah, like entertaining the idea that he is a human. Um, that means like for the ending, it means that he is like a human that he, his growth as a character was – learning to put his prejudices aside and like, you know, stop, literally stop killing them, <laughs> uh, brutally, but like that he grew to accept them as people and see them as people. Um, and the other interpretation if he's replicant is just like, Oh, he, you know, put aside his humanity because he realized that they are like through Roy, that they are actually more, they're more, more human than human. No, that's, that's great too. 
you know, and it can be interpreted either way. And obviously we think that he's a replicant. So it kind of showed him like, look at this, like, look what I'm doing and what it, look what you're doing. You know, you can be better. You can be, a, you, you can, you, you don't have the misfortune of shutting down. Like you, you can, you can do whatever you want. Is that why you think, is that why you think Roy saves him at the end? Like, why, why do you think he saves him? Why do you think he pulls him off the ledge? I think he wants to show him that there's a better way. I think he wants to show like, look what I, look what I can do with hardly any effort. Like I, mm-hmm. I can, I can say, I didn't need to save you. You could have just died. And, and after all the things that, you know, you've done and all the things that you've done to my friends, like he's still, he decides that at the end of his life that he's going to do something good and show him like, this is what human, this is what a human should be. Like we're you know, capable of making this choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, again, obviously that final monologue is one of the best ever. It's just, it's so heartbreaking to hear like, yeah. he, cause he really is. He's, he's lamenting on his whole life and his life, his whole life was four years, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, it's so short. And like, he's, he's saying like, you know, he's seen such great things, you know, in four years, you know, and he's, 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 uh, he hasn't taken it for granted. Like he knows that, you know, what he's seen and accomplished, like, you know, he wanted, he just wanted more of it. And, and, it, and his time mm-hmm. ran out. He couldn't, there's nothing, he, there's nothing he could do about it. So. Do you think it would have mattered? Do you think it matters at all to Roy, whether Deckard is a human or a replicant? Like, do you think that? I don't think so. I think to save him I, or not. I, I think that like that Deckard uh, is, in Roy's idea, a human, I think makes his, what he does and, and, you know, what he says, um, mean more in that sense. But Roy thinking that is, is fine. But also, even if it doesn't, isn't the way it really is that he thinks he's talking to a human as a replicant that's alive now, or that's still alive, like he can still take the things that he said and interpret them. And, mm-hmm. and and understand that like the way Roy just acted there, like I could be better. I can I can do things that this guy just did. You know, he's he's a he's a he's a stone cold killer. <laughs> that's his job is to mm-hmm. kill things. Like that's what he, that's all he's there for. He's a kill bot. You know, and even yeah. though Rucker Howard brutally murdered people and, and like the other people did, it wasn't like because they wanted to. It was because they just needed. They wanted to escape and they needed to get away. So well, he's also a killbot. His 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 purpose, his programming was like to be like a military um, asset, you know, and like right. a combat yeah. unit. So right, and that's and that just kind of shows even when he kills Doctor Terrell, like how you know all that, you know, even though even though he's evolved a little bit, and obviously his his main goal is to live, he still has those things in his head. He still yeah. has those killing parameters, those killing, those killing feelings. I love, I love, we only get a, like one or two brief uh, moments of it, but when we see um, Roy and Leon together, um, you know, he's like, he's, it's such a great scene. We see like the, how, the camaraderie between them just because they're of a kind, like even if they, they do, com- you know, they were built for completely different purposes, but they were both built and they're both like from the same production line and they're, they just have that camaraderie and, you know, he's always talking about like us. It's, it's like, they're, they're like a small community, but it's always a we and us. Um, and when, when he finds out Leon dies, he literally sheds a tear. Like he literally cries over it. Uh, and I think that, I think it's amazing. 
yeah, that's that's awesome, you know. And it, and again, they don't have a ton of screen time, and they establish it, like you said, in in that that five minute scene when they're at the I factory. Like they, you know, you really sell the idea, uh, you know, that they're close. That somehow they're like brother. It's like a brotherhood, you know. It's like yeah. if you're, if you're a replicant, you're one of us. Like it's it's kind of like that, and you know, and and it and there's not a ton of dialogue, a ton of scenes with this. It's just a few things that just kind of sell that and which is awesome. You know, that's what I like. It's not, you didn't see, you didn't spend an hour, you know, seeing them talk. You, you just, you knew it right away. Like they had good chemistry together. And like those, those things are, are important. And that's why this movie's good too, because all the actors are in the right place. Like there's a lot of really good actors in this. I mean, you really name like, I mean, there's, there's, I think I can name like 10, you know, mm, and that's a murderer's row. Yeah. Daryl yeah. Hannah, James James Hong. Yeah. Oh, he's excellent. Yeah. And then Matt Walsh, who's a, an awesome character actor. He plays Bryant. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been in everything. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, like we said, Brian James, Rucker Hauer, Edward James Almost, Harrison Ford, Sean Young. Um, I think uh, Dr. Terrell, is, I think his name is Joe Turkle. That sounds right. Um, but he, I don't know he who's from anything else, but he was. They're they're all great in this. Everybody's cast really well. No, it, it's so true. Yeah, and uh, per, uh, Joanna Cassidy was Zora. She's well, she's uh, most well known for playing the the boss and uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Oh and, man, okay. And she's also the waitress in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay, okay. She's she's yeah. great. Yeah, no, she's excellent. Uh, and you know, like I said these little amounts of screen time with some of these actors and they just do such a great job. Like Brian James and Joanna Cassidy, very low amount of screen time. And then even JF Sebastian, William Sanderson, who's been at a ton of things lately. He was like true blood and uh, Deadwood. He's mm-hmm. been in a ton of things lately, but he's also very good in it too. They, they show the replicants doing a lot of like quote unquote mundane things like, um, like shower, like she showers after her show um presumably because she's actually sweating like we see rucker howard visibly dripping sweat on his face in almost every scene so like they sweat um they they shower they eat do you think they need to eat do you think it's like they get nutrition out of food or do you think they just kind of do it like superman eats to fit in with humans that kind of thing no it's definitely the fit in part i mean she look they're the she's getting a date that's her day job you know like yeah. the coming home and showering, that's just like, you know, she's she's working nine to five and then coming home exhausted. Like she's trying to live the she's trying to like live in society, but trying to earn some money, you know, that kind of thing. So I think mm-hmm. all those other things are part of that. Yeah, but so I think like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So like they do you think but do you think they like get cravings for food? Do you think they enjoy I think they enjoy eating, but like do you think it goes that far? I would have liked to see like Rucker Howard's favorite cereal is Frosted Flakes or something like that. Like he had like kind of like <laughs> those things. <laughs> like his last, in- his last meal before he knows he's dying, he's got like a bowl of Frosted Flakes. Uh, well, the most important question in this thread is do they poop? Do, do androids poop electric poop? It definitely doesn't come out like the way our poop does though. <laughs> it, comes out, it comes out like nuts and bolts. Like it's like a weird, like just... <laughs> It's like it's like when you hit Johnny Five in the head with a bat, like all the pieces come off. That's how. <laughs> <it is. laughs> 
Um, I, I do have a follow-up question about like if Decker, so whether it, this, this, this throws a, a wrench into like the ambiguity of whether Deckard is a human or, or, or a skin job. Um, when he's, uh, grilling, grilling Rachel, um, after he puts her through the Voight comp test, um, she is, ta- she's taught, he asks her specific questions about like, what did you do when you found the spider in the garden or you know, what did you do when this happened? And it's as though he's asking about um, questions about like a, a real person's memories. And he says, those are Tyrell's niece's memories. Like when she says that she has her own memories and she remembers these things like a spider in a garden. Um, he says, no, those aren't yours. Those were implanted into you. Those are, you know, Tyrell's nieces. How does he know the details of those memories? That's right. How does he know? I mean, is he doing his homework that diligently on Dr. Tyrell? I mean, how would he even have access to that? Right. It made me think, it made me wonder if he's human, did he grow up and like Tyrell's niece was his childhood friend? And that's part of the reason he takes to Rachel immediately is she's like, the grown-up version of this kid that he was friends with who probably maybe died at a young age. I, I started describing like this whole fan theory, like side story, but I was like, but, but where does he get, it's either that it's either that, um, or he has some sort of file on Tyrell that he has access to, or those memories were also implanted in him. That's possible too. I want to say if, if I'm doing theories, I want to say that it's more that uh, he he found something about Dr. Ty- Tyrell. Like, I think he knew already about this Rachel. I think, like, he kind of, even though he's being explained everything, I think he already kind of knew the idea of what this was, like, what he was seeing. Like, okay. I think, I think there's more, like, there's, there's more about, like, his, like, what he does, Dr. Tyrell. That's, that's my theory, is that there's like there is definitely information about like his tendencies and what he does, um, you know, being such a famous like name. Mm. Okay. That's the way I I don't I don't know though. I mean, again, it also could be that he was Dr. Tyrell. You know, knew him as a replicant. Like he knew, you know, Harrison Ford maybe is unaware that of how long he's existed, yeah. or maybe he like he had a new m- memory implanted in him, but he, he still retains some of those other things. Maybe he was, he grew, like you said, grew up with them, but it wasn't like he was a regular person. He was a replicant that was just around all the time. And he mm-hmm. kind of has like glimpses of, of that, but you're right. No one goes and tells him that he just knows that. So, yep. I mean, there is a little bit of detecting that he, look, the, the scene where he like figures out where they're staying, like, you know, when he like looks at like the images and he kind of has to kind of look at like the side of it to kind of like, he notices Enhance. like, Rotate 20 degrees. Enhance. Yeah, like that's, that, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, he that's a little detective work right there. So yeah. I, I know Harrison Ford said he doesn't really detect the detects, but there's a scene right there that he was like, he was full-blown like Blue's Clues right there. It was good. Well, and he finds the scale and it's either a fish or or a snake and he takes it to the mark, like that, you know, underground market and they confirm that it's a snake. Um, that's all cool. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty clever how he figures it out. I, I, I always like that scene, so. Yeah, I mean, he he needed a lead and he got it. So and he and he, he explored it and then he then he murdered him. Yeah, I love that. I love that Rachel asks him um, 
if he's ever done the the Voight comp test on himself, and he just doesn't answer. Um, he just like can, goes in the other room and, and has a drink. Um, also, the fact that the, the fact that the movie opens on him, he's in retirement allegedly. You know, he's right. he he has to be pull, literally arrested in order to come back into the office and do his job because his boss tells him like, you know, you wouldn't have come in if I just invited you. Um, which like if he's retired, they can't, I don't know. I well, I don't know the legality of this new world, uh, this future in, tw- in, in 2019, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it seems like it, I, to me, like going on, on the theory that he's a replicant, it's more like, you know, you have no choice. You are literally programmed um, and we're just basically bringing you in to like set you off on this path to solve this mystery or to stop these other skin jobs. Yeah. That's another thing. You, you know, you, he's retired and the, you're right. Like they just, it's not even like, you can, not even a phone call, right? It's, a, yeah. it's like ambushed <laughs> yep. to come back. Well, he's eating noodles. And right. I love that. I love that he just takes them with him and he's eating them in the car. Um, <laughs> the, uh, oh, oh. Uh, just another detail I didn't notice until like, this is maybe my fourth or fifth time watching the movie now. Um, the, you know, it's like zoom, cool flying cars, um, uh, which are not cool. I have a whole, I, I'm not going to go on my whole soapbox about how I do not want to live in a world with flying cars. It's a terrible idea. Uh, I don't want anybody to have access to them. They'd be crashing and falling out of the sky constantly. Um, but what I noticed in this movie, it's not like the fifth element where just everybody has one. There's very few, and it's pretty much only, like, the cops or, like, there's, like, some blimps that you see floating around. But there's not, like, just air traffic constantly. You know what I mean? No, that is definitely true. And, and again, I think it kind of just tells you what kind of society that they're living in. They're not living in a, in a utopia. You know, it's yeah. not – you know, they, they really are just kind of in the slums almost. But it's it's the future here, so – you know, I mean, even like the apartment buildings that they're lurking in, all, all the places that you see, all the all the all those all those different places, they're not nice. You know, like mm-hmm. they're they're all they're all dilapidated. You know, so yeah. it, it just it just kind of gives that idea that like maybe only rich people have them, and then the but the authority figures have them too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the the watchers in the sky. You can't like the almost like the what are they the hunter hunter killers or what whatever the ones were in Terminator, the ones that fly. Yeah, um, just kind of like sent sentinels in the sky, like you know, watching over you. I think that like, it, that kind of it's also kind of implied that like there really aren't that many like quote unquote rich people here. Like most of most of the people that are that are truly wealthy have gotten the fuck off the planet and they're they're living <laughs> off world. Uh, right, it's alleged, like you know, by all accounts, much much better. Um, but like, yeah, you do have like the Tyrells, and you have like some people that are you know probably like middle upper class <laughs> they're they're not quite rich enough or they can't pass a physical um or whatever to make it to go to the off world but yeah it's, yeah, it's clearly like this is clearly like the secondary planet now this is like mm-hmm. yeah and like you had said it, it kind of it, it kind of alludes that there was some type of a disaster of some sort that happened ecological or whatever um that kind of made it this way but you just you know you don't know what exactly happened and i mm-hmm. think also too you know, with the way this movie was made, 1982, budget concerns, that kind of thing. It would have been kind of nice to see at least one or two scenes where you see off-world what it looks like. 
or even yeah. like an escape, or even like an escape scene where they do end up escaping, and you kind of see the other two replicants get killed. Um, that would have been kind of like an exciting thing to see. Like that, that would have been a, a cool opening to the movie. You know, to kind of set the tone, like mm. to show how to also show like you know, look, I mean, look, there's replicas. You can say like they kill twenty three people, but to see them kill the people, then you see like okay, the, they're calling in the cop to you know eradicate them because they're killer bots or murder bots or whatever. I think the James Cameron version of this movie is like it starts with them busting out and like boom, 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 like big guns fighting space marines. You know, um, it's it starts with the the six replicants uh, busting out, which would be it'd be very cool to see. Um, but it's you know it's not this movie. And that's okay. The only way I'll allow that if Bill Pullman is still one of the uh, Space Marines. Oh, hell yeah. Game over, man. Um, <laughs> Rachel, also, <laughs> Rachel also asks uh, uh, Deckard a really interesting question. Um, she asks, have you ever retired a human by mistake? Yeah, that's that's a great question. He can't mm-hmm. answer that. He doesn't know. Yep. That's impossible to know, like, unless he's doing, like, the test with them, you know, like, before he kills them. Yeah, oh, his eyes are moving weird. All right, never mind. Like, he, like, he's not doing that. He's, like, gutting them down in cold blood in the middle of a crowd, right? He's not, he's not like, oh, I better test this guy and see what happens. No, they, they tell him who to kill, and he goes and kills them. He doesn't, yeah, he, he can't yeah. answer that question. I, I almost thought that was going to be a thing because of, like, she asked him that question, and, like, shortly thereafter is when he goes after Zora, um, and guns are down the street. Not also not ca- not seeming to give a care about whether he hits a, like a passerby with a stray bullet. Um, he's just firing into crowds and, and stuff. Um, but yeah, I thought that when he when he shoots and kills Zora, I thought, oh man, what if they reveal uh, that she's actually a person and like he made a mistake or whatever? Um, but they the cleanup crew, the like Men in Black crew that kind of shows up. Um, they like immediately confirm and they're like, great job. You, you, you got her. Um, well, I also think that like what you said though, like him firing into a crowd, there might've been some collateral damage in one of his earlier missions that he's absolutely. like so erratic with like the gunfire that he's really not giving a shit who's around. Like there's gotta be at least one like woman that got clipped in the face by accident. Like, but he doesn't even know about, you know, or something like that. He's yeah. he's got a couple of uh, collateral damage kills on his, on his ledger. Yeah. Plus, uh, Roy Roy tells him later when he's taunting him, he's like, "Not very sporty to fire at an unarmed opponent." Oh man, yeah. He's kind of almost got—I don't know what his accent is, but it's just yeah, it's so perfect the way he delivers all the dialogue. Mm. That's another. I I just thought of another like thing when I was watching it this time that um, supports the theory that he's a replicant when he. Rucker Howard like crashes through a cement wall, breaks two of his fingers, and then chases him up a building. And it's raining, and like that stone has got to be slick. But he like he doesn't easily just bound up the side of the building. But he he struggles, but he does in the end like pull himself up and and um and not slip and fall from the building until he almost does. Um, but I don't know. It just it's. It's not like incredibly superhuman strength on display, but it's a little bit more than what a human looks capable of. You know what I mean? Sure. And then maybe you could ch- talk that up to the era of, you know, unbelievable things happening. But this movie doesn't seem like that. I think you're right about that, that 
you know, even though that you, you've seen some like ridiculous scenes in the decade, I don't think like Blade Runner was made like that where like a human could do like just ridiculous things. I think you're yeah, right. It's not I think a Fast and the Furious sequel. <laughs> you know what I just realized too? I'm sorry to bring up the fifth element again. That's all right. I never realized this, but the guy that uh, Bruce Willis talks to on the phone, it is Vin Diesel talking. I never knew that. Which guy? Finger, his boss, like that he calls. Oh, like, hey, yeah, you're right. They never said anything until recently. No one ever confirmed it until recently that it is Vin Diesel talking. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, now when you watch that movie again, you're going to be like, oh my God, it is Vin Diesel. You know, it's it's so funny like that. But yeah, that's my only Fast and the Furious connection there. Back to Blade Runner. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking at my notes. I think I covered everything I want to cover. Uh, is there anything that we've left out or anything else that you want to talk about with this movie? Rucker Howard died... <laughs> Uh, 75 years old and the year he died was 2019 the year that Blade Runner was supposed to take place oh man do you know he uh, he wrote that soliloquy yeah he uh, the only thing he added he, the, the only thing he added was the uh, like tears and rain mm. the other the other things were in the script but there was a lot more other things attached to it so he condensed okay. it down he condensed it down to what it what it became, but uh, just the the tears and rain thing was the only thing he added. And uh, at first, he didn't tell Ridley Scott that he was doing it, but once um, once once he saw the way everybody was reacting to his performance, and like there, they said, there was people actually crying uh, when he did the scene. Mm-hmm. He left it like it was because R- Ridley Scott was notorious for he didn't like ad libbing. He hated, mm. he hated that. He loves, he loved it the way the script is. So um, he let Rucker Howard go with this because he saw how powerful it was to people on the set, like w- when he did mm. it, um, which was r- really cool. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I really like Rucker Howard because he really, you know, again, when you, when you hear interviews with him, he definitely breaks it down for you. The other yeah. thing I will say too uh, is, you know, he didn't, uh, really care for the sequel and it Mm -hmm. wasn't anything to do with like, he didn't think it was a bad movie, but he, what he said when they asked him about it was he said, I sniff and scratch at it. It looks great, but I struggle to see why that, that film was necessary. I just think if something is so beautiful, you should just leave it alone and make another film. Don't lean with one elbow on the success that was earned over 30 years in the underground. He said in many ways, Blade Runner wasn't about the replicants. It was about what it does it mean to be a human. It's like E.T., but I'm not certain what the question was in the second Blade Runner. It's not a character-driven movie, and there's no humor. There's no love. There's no soul. You can see the homage to the original, but that's not enough to me. I knew that wasn't going to work, but I think it's not important what I think. <laughs> so he kind of like dismissed his own comments at the end. It doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I feel like that's just a classy way to give your opinion, but say like, hey, you know, I'm not the, you can have your own opinion still. This isn't like me saying you're wrong for thinking the other way. I think that's just a classy way for him to word that. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I think he didn't, he didn't dismiss it like, oh, it's total garbage. He was just saying, I probably wouldn't have touched the source material because, you know, it's so to many people a masterpiece and so perfect and 
Um, you know, again, I, I get that too, you know, that he was, you know, thinking about that. And I, you know, look, when you, the more and more you hear sequels come out and reboots and remakes, you know, the more deluded you get about that. You're where you're just like, really another one. Why? But I, I will like, I will say this, you know, I will watch Blade Runner 2049 because I never heard anybody say anything bad about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like a disaster, right? Like it's, it's a good movie. No. And it's parents, right? And there, so, there's a lot of ways that it could have been a disaster, but it, I, I, I love it personally. I think, um, I think it elevates the first movie. I think it makes the, like, it's, it's such a good sequel that like, it makes the, it makes the first movie more interesting because of the ideas from it that it expounds upon. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool about that. I, I do like that idea. I just think also, you know, when a sequel is that much of a gap, you know, I, I don't like that either. I wish, you know, if they were going to do a sequel, you know, it was a little bit more around the time frame of, of when the original came out. I, I, mm-hmm. I would have done it after the director's cut started picking up steam and people started really appreciating again, this movie, like that the, they heralded it. Cause again, it, it went for about 10 years and like the, like almost the entire 1980s, it was, a, people th- knew it was a good movie, but it yeah. wasn't like defined as this classic of the genre until way later. It didn't receive this like reception recognition that it did. So mm-hmm. I thought maybe like when that happened, that would have been a good time to jump on the sequel bandwagon and kind of yeah, like do I don't, do I don't think Villeneuve makes movies that fast though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying, I mean, Ridley, <laughs> you're right. But, but I'm saying like Ridley Scott might've wanted to, you know, kind of put, put his stamp on that now that he realized that the director's cut is now the definitive version of this movie. And that, yeah. you know, now, now people love this movie. I mean, it's not to say people didn't love the movie, but look, we all have growing up in the eighties, we all know the movies, the mainstream movies that, that hit big for us when we're, we're children growing up. Blade yeah. Runner was just not one of them. Blade Runner was just not one of them. It just wasn't. Well, yeah. And, it, and what it's, and it's eclipsed by those because those are much more accessible because they're, and they, I'm not like, I'm really trying to leave any judgment out of saying this. Cause I'm a huge fan of the movies that we're talking about, like star Wars and, but like those are obviously more accessible because they're more actiony. They're less contemplative, you know, less hard sci-fi. No, yeah, this isn't a movie that is a mainstream movie by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, this this movie isn't supposed to be like that, but I think maybe the marketing of the movie or maybe the fact that it had Harrison Ford in the movie, you know, he's you know, he's Han Solo, he's this, he's he's Indiana Jones. You know, you're mm-hmm. thinking it's going to be an action adventure action-packed movie, but it's just not. And I think that's another thing. Like people when they first got a got a hold of that movie, they were like, I think they found it to be boring. They found it to be slow and they didn't really understand all the themes that were like being thrown at them. They're like, you know, robots with feelings. Like what the hell's going on? Like, I don't know. Like they, they didn't get all the, all what, what they were trying to put into that movie. There's a lot of things, you know, like I said, like we're talking about this movie. It's a great movie to break down. It's, it's like, you know, you could write a thesis about this movie. It's just very, yeah thought-provoking and and uh you know the more i watch that movie the more i find things to love about it and i love just even like the cinematography just the way things are shot like it's it really is a technically great movie like when you come mm. when you look at that part of it too the the way that everything's shot and, and the editing and all that i mean the director's cut really is it, it is you know it, it deserves 
its reputation as like one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever. If yeah. some say the best, but I There's mean that's very very little light, but it uses light really well. Yeah, no, I know, and and I you know look sometimes I like the dystopian futures. I love, I kind of like that stuff. I like the bleakness. Yeah. <laughs> I I kind of do like I kind of gravitate towards those kind of sci-fi movies more. Um, mm-hmm. I just like that idea that we like fucked up and now like we got to deal with it. You know, I like yeah. that. I uh, I just want to argue one one minor little thing with Mr. Rutger Hauer. <laughs> um, again, like I think his opinion is totally valid, but something in the sequel that um, there's a character that Ana de Armas plays. Uh, her name is Joy, and she's basically like a a an AI. She's like an AI, like a Siri kind of, or an Alexa, um, right. that like lives in a device and can't is like constrained to the confines of her device and her intelligence is limited, but she is just like her the exploration of her um, in 2049. It's, it's not like she's the point of the movie in any way, but I just think like there is a lot of, of what, what I think Rucker Howard was looking for is saying is missing from 2049 that I think if you, just kind of focus on her character and especially obviously Ryan Gosling's character is the main character. Um, it explores those themes and I think it's worth watching. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and I would love to have you back on the show to talk about it after you, after you see it. Lou, that is a hundred percent going to be my goal and we will revisit this at a later time. And I, 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 I know I'm going to like this movie. You know, that's the thing yeah. I, I uh, I don't know why I've avoided it so much. Maybe it's just because I had Revere the original so much, and also maybe I kind of wanted Rucker Howard to be in this movie because I do love that guy. <laughs> It'd be so. you know he would elevate it if he was there, but um, I think the movie survives without him. I'll say that. Yeah, but like you remember, like his last movie he made, he didn't have one line, and he just played like a guy in a coffin. I mean, they could figure him out, you know. Yeah, it would have been poetic for you know. Like in, if in 2019, his last movie was uh, uh, Blade Runner. It, well, it came out in 2017, but still, you know, <laughs> uh, it's time for your Voight Kampf test. Are you ready to uh, for the audience to find out if you're a human or a replicant? Oh, God, I'm going to like freak out. My eyes are going to start moving weird. Listen, just don't freak out. Just uh, it's just a series of questions. Just answer them as calmly as you can. All right. All right. You're in a desert. You look down and you see a tortoise walking towards you. You reach down and flip the tortoise onto its back. Its belly is now baking in the hot sun and it can't flip itself over without your help. But you're not helping. Why? I don't understand. A tortoise is basically, you know, a turtle? Uh, Yeah. Basically the same thing. All right, question two. Describe in single words only the good things that come to your mind about your mother. My mom, uh, she, uh, um, I don't understand why these questions, what is this? What is this? Single words, you failed. You're a replicant. Question three. (laughs) It's, It's your birthday. Someone gives you a calfskin wallet. What do you do? Why would someone give me a calfskin wallet? Especially in a world where what are these where, questions about? Where uh, you, you know um, uh, cows are basically extinct. I will. I'm, the next question is a real question. No. You're going to love question four. Um, ready? 
Yes. That wasn't the question. Uh, here's question four. A little, boy, <laughs> a little boy shows you his butterfly collection, plus the killing jar. What do you do? Uh, at this point, I would have just, like, gouged your eyes out, I think. <laughs> so you, you're, you're taking a pass. You're, like, you're just taking the, uh, um, you're just taking, like, a pass or fail <laughs> instead of a letter grade? Yeah, I think I just would have murdered. Like, as soon as you said a turtle on a shell, I think I would have just like just caved your face in with my fist. Uh, well, I'm also a replicant, so um, I survived your attack, and I have three more questions. You ready? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you're watching television. Suddenly, you realize a wasp is crawling on your arm. What do you do? You smash it. That actually, that actually is the right answer. That's the answer uh, Rachel gave. So <laughs> she's like, I kill it immediately. I kill um, it immediately. Uh, okay, you're reading a magazine. There is a po- full-page nude photo of a girl. Your husband likes it so much, he hangs it on your bedroom wall. Do you allow him to? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Because is it because you it. also like the photo? No, because he loves it. And you love him? Yeah. Um, that's kind of human. That's that's a pretty human thing. All right. Uh, number seven. Final question. You're watching a stage play. There's a banquet is in progress. The guests are enjoying an appetizer of raw oysters. The entree consists of boiled dog. <laughs> No, I I need it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we um we we uh concluded decisively early on in this test that you are a replicant and the subsequent questions only confirmed it. So congratulations. I don't know why, because I wasn't thinking of the Rachel scene, I was thinking of the Leon scene. And like I was just like it took like two questions for him to just destroy everything. <laughs> I wonder, I don't know how he got out of that building alive. Like, that's why, I don't know. A, the world of Blade Runner needs better security because I don't know how he got that gun in. Um, I don't know how they got up to, uh, um, what's his name's office uh, in the first place to kill him. Um, you just have to say these around. guys are like, these, this is, these guys, like, if there was more of them, they could have like completely took over that 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 world. Like let's yeah. just say like let's just say like 40 of them escaped and like got there. I think they could like really do some heavy damage. Like they yep. they could like really like take over LA. Yeah, that's true. Um to tie this into robots versus dinosaurs, what do you th- what, what do you think is the biggest dinosaur that a single replicant? Let's let's say Roy Battery, Batty cuz he's like he did. He did the most combat and like fared the best in in hand to hand combat. So Roy Batty, what is the largest, fiercest dinosaur that he could take in a one on one match? I mean, I think he'd have to go after the T Rex. I mean, he is the he is like the T Rex of the group. You think so he I could think take he down could. a T Rex? I think he could. I, yeah. I think he would outsmart. I think he would outsmart it easily. Mm. Like, okay. like who do you think? Like, like I think like for Roy Batty. I think he would just kind of like, just kind of shake his head. Like, this is it. I think he would be cocky about it. Like, he'd be like, look at his arms, his pussy. You know, like, I okay. think he would really like 
break it down, like find like find the ways to like outmaneuver and like make him look foolish at first, and then like maybe like he tr- he tricks him into like falling into a volcano or some shit. Like I could see something like that happening. <laughs> okay, what about uh, what about two raptors? Two raptors? Yeah. Well, Roy's pretty fast, and he's pretty agile, so I think he could keep up with that. I think he would take more damage in that fight than he would take in the T-Rex fight, though, because if they're doing stealth attack, if they're striking like that, like, like mm-hmm. kind of like run, running attacks, I think that like he would have a tough time trying to get both down. I think he would take damage like if he was like beating the shit out of one of them. But I think at the same time, like the other one would be like mauling him a little bit. So I think like he would win, but he wouldn't come out on skate. So if like you put one more dinosaur out, if it was like a like a contest of champions and like it was like, you know, round one, T-Rex, round two, two raptors, then like Mm -hmm. round three, it's like, I don't know, like a triceraton or something. I think like he would be fucked because I think he would really have a tough time with the raptors. Okay. What do you think? I I th- I think I think I agree with your assessment entirely. I think two raptors is the limit. I think once you throw a third one in there, it's just too much cuz he's still a bipedal humanoid and like he's fast, he's agile, but I think three of those things are going to take him like eventually take him down with ambush strikes. I think, yeah, I definitely agree. I think like he's going to just have so much internal damage and like he's just kind of be he'll be limping and and I I wouldn't even imagine he just dies later. Like he would. That's that's yeah. kind of how it would be. He he would initially win, but in the end they would get him. I think uh, I agree with the, the one T Rex he could take. I think he would out. I think what he would like he would uh, get it to charge him like a bull, and then outmaneuver it. And just once he's like on its back, um, he could just start breaking its bones one by one <laughs> yeah, with his bare that, hands. That, that's what I, I could see that too. Like just destroying its spine. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Why didn't we, did we ever get a did we ever get a Rucker Howard dinosaur movie? Come on, oh, man, that would have been man. awesome. That would have been great. We got an Adam Driver uh, versus dinosaurs movie this year. I know. Uh, I was just about to bring that up. Have you seen that yet? <laughs> oh, I did. I have thoughts. It's going to be a future episode, um, but I'll say I I enjoyed it. I had a great time watching it. It's not a it's not Blade Runner. It's, it's it's not a thinking man sci-fi movie. It's not. Um, oh, that's great. Because you think Adam Driver is going to like class it up a little bit. All right. I want to well, watch Here's the that. thing, though. It's not trying to be. And that's what I liked about it. It's just an adventure movie. It is just Adam Driver fights dinosaurs. It's exactly what what's on the tin. There we go. And that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got. I definitely wanted to see that. I. I don't know how long it was in theaters, but I'll definitely check it out. I definitely I think I think uh, I love two. I think it was in theaters for like two, maybe three minutes total. <laughs> um, yeah. so it should be on streaming pretty soon. All right, man. No, I I definitely want to see that. That that looked up my alley. So all right. Yeah. Well, I got two things to watch now. I got to watch that, and I got to watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh, um, yeah. So some some homework to do before the next show. Uh, and before we wrap up this show, uh, Kevin, I've got two bonus questions for you. Are you ready for the b- 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 bonus round? Yes, I am. I hope it's not more <laughs> a point contest. No, it's not. The first question is simply, what's your snack? Um, do you have a favorite movie theater snack? Or like when you're at home, do you create, try to cre- like recreate the movie theater experience? Yeah, that's a, a good question. 
I, you know, I am classic when it comes to movie theater. I, I like, I always get popcorn. I always get mm-hmm. soda. If I'm going to do candy, my number one choice is always goobers. Mm-hmm. And then my number two choice, I'd have to say maybe Sour Patch Kids. Oh, Sour Patch Kids, classic. Absolutely. Nice. And, and at home, that's whatever's around. But you know what? A nice bowl of popcorn does does it pretty well. I know my kids, like my 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 two girls, they like, well, can we have a movie night, Daddy? So that usually involves popcorn. So popcorn mm-hmm. is the yeah, I'm almost exactly the same when I go to a movie. Like, the entree is popcorn and the dessert is uh, Sour Patch Kids. Honestly, when my kids ask me to get something that I never would get, like nachos or, like, pretzel bites, I'm like, I, I always say no. I'm just like, that is just not us. That's not what we do at the movies. <laughs> we ain't a pretzel like, bats family. Right. Right. I'm like, I'm even like, get get gummy worms or something i'm cool with those gummy bears <laughs> gummy worms at least they kind of like sour patch kids but no because i always hated like that like even a hot dog i never thought i never got a hot dog once in the movie theater like have you ever yeah. gotten a hot dog there no no i, no, I, I brought a sandwich to the hot to the movies but i haven't ever bought a hot dog <laughs> did you really oh yeah well and i live in new york and like they, they just, they, you know, they, like they don't, they don't, when they check your bag, they're not checking for like snacks or food. They're checking, you know, if you brought weapons and um, so they, they really don't care. And I've just brought entire meals to, to movies before. Cause I, you know, I'm gonna, if I know I'm going to be in there for like two, two and a half hours, uh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get snacky. There you go. That's awesome. They, they didn't uh, give a shit about your bologna and cheese. They just wanted to see if you were packing. Nice. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all right, Kevin, final bonus question for Blade Runner. If you were in charge of recasting Blade Runner and you have to put Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg in two of the roles, who would you replace? And in what ways would that improve Blade Runner? Well, I think Danny DeVito would definitely have to be J.F. Sebastian. Just like okay. I could totally buy him as someone like that aged completely and just acting like a clown. But I think he would like <laughs> spice up the lines, you know what I mean? Like, okay. what am I doing? Like, he would just be, like, very, like, over the top more in the in the role. <laughs> so I think – and that would be great. Like, just, like, the little guy that's, like, has – like, he's aged. Like, fit, he's really, like, 20 years old and it's Danny DeVito. Like, I would love to see that. <laughs> <you know? laughs> okay. And then uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, man. You know, I, I'd probably put her, like uh, – uh, she'd be the snake. Like, she'd be, like, the mechanical <laughs> snake. She'd be the voice. <laughs> Okay. You know, like, like all of a sudden the snake would have its own character. Like she, <laughs> she would say, like she would say, like shitty lines that she forgot to say in Ghost. Would that be a big change throughout the movie? Would like all of the animals be able to talk now, or would she just be the one exception? No, it would just be Whoopi Goldberg as the mechanical snake. <laughs> like she would have like a cool name, like Medusa, or like something like that, or <laughs> or Crabajab, or whatever. And, like. Okay. They, and then, like, he'd have to, like, interrogate the snake, like, where's Zora? And, like, oh, we'll be man. like, I don't know. What, what, who's Zora? Like, he, just, like, do shitty, like, lines like she does. Like, to, like she thinks she's in Sister Act 2. Meanwhile, she's in the greatest sci-fi movie of all time. <laughs> oh, and then uh, the last time we see her is when Zora gets killed. We just see her, like, sadly slithering away. Right, and then they make, yeah. and then knowing knowing them, like they like Warner Brothers would make like an animated spinoff of the Snake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what? oh god, <laughs> would be Goldberg, and who would be like the who would be the other actor? Like it would be Kurt Russell, maybe. 
Kurt Russell is the other voice. Kurt Russell is Zora. Oh, I thought you were saying Kurt Russell is Zora. Which no, I no, see he's that like the love. In, he's the love interest in the animated spinoff of the, of okay. the snake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's da- he's like Dale. He's like a trucker that like finds. No, the snake he's or he's a mechanical mouse, and impossibly <laughs> this mechanical mouse and this mechanical snake found love. Wow! Don't get Disney Plus ideas. They just make I know, anything. Like, out, so. I hope they're not listening because they're just they're just gonna steal that million dollar idea and and run with it. Yeah, so um, Danny is J- Danny is JF Sebastian, and then Whoopi is the mechanical snake. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answers, uh, uh, Ridley Scott. You've got our you've got you've got my email address. So um, uh, so make sure you uh, write your love and or hate mail into robosvdinos at gmail dot com, uh, or you can find us on social media. Just search for Robots versus Dinosaurs. We're on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else. Um, and this has been uh, Blade Runner with Kevin. Uh, thanks so much for coming on today, Kevin. I had a great time talking about arguably one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time, one of the greatest robot movies of all time. Um, and I really hope we can get you back sometime to talk about the sequel. Yes, I will do my homework and I will be back. I just want to say, too, this podcast will have a uh, theatrical cut and a director's cut. And... Uh, <laughs> It'll have just complete narration over us talking, so don't even bother with the theatrical. Just go with the director's cut. (laughs) Yeah, the director's cut is going to be like 25 minutes longer and uh, objectively better. More more Whoopi Goldberg talk in the director's cut, too, so. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Uh, As always, um, uh quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? (laughs) Take care, everyone. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark in the townhouse gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Time to die. Can you believe these replicants? My God, this was not called execution. It was called retirement. Beep, beep, boop, boop, destroyed. We ain't a pretzel bats family. There I was in the rain, thinking about androids. This one is short. And circuit and sweet. No disassemble. I am passerby, man on the street, average Joe. Take heart, little lady. I'll fix their wagon. Yo. There is something sinister happening in Stepford. Does he though? Does he though? It's a movie-ass movie. It's twisted. Murder, cover-up protocol, MCP. (laughs) I give the old nyuk-nyuk. I think it's a delight. Now you're John Hammond. He's telling me to download a hoagie off the internet. But why would dinosaurs do this? That's an interesting question because... Humans do have five fingers. Awa is more powerful than Ura, you know? But it still all makes sense somehow. That's just crazy cool. We need people to write in with hate mail. Because they're tiny little eight people that don't know how to live in the world yet. Take that, you cocky bastard! Yeah, you go, robots. I gotta go, but Steve is strong, so everyone's gonna be okay. Godzilla just sent a telepathic message.